been in the middle of a series here, uh, Prepare Yourself for Jesus' Return. This is part four. And uh, it usually, when I do these series, I've learned that it doesn't go the way I necessarily studied or planned it. The Holy Spirit many times manifests, and he did again. This time, as I had this studied out, he just changed things a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about something that will stabilize your life and keep you steady in times of challenge. How many want to hear about that? So um, just some, a backdrop of some things that I usually share as I start this series. We're living in a really unusual time of change. Most people know that. And uh, most people don't really understand the dynamics behind what's going on. This is not just a change in the United States. It's a change that's cur occurring worldwide. There's a lot of documentation on this. And I've read quite a few documents about what I'm about to say. But there is... Uh, there are those that are looking for a global reset by 2030. Have y'all heard about that? The 2030 project where uh, their goal really is, and they think they're, listen, you know, it's not that they think they're doing the wrong thing. Honestly, they think they're doing the right thing. They want to join all of the nations of the world under a global government, a, glo a global law so that everybody thinks the same way. All nations are, all, are governed the same way, a global financial plan digital financing where everybody uses the same financing the idea is to make it easier for the nations to interface together and then a global religion wherever nobody's mad at anybody and everybody accepts everybody else now it sounds good on the surface huh but but the the problem the problem with it is the human heart is absolutely corrupt how many hear me and, uh, you know, the, the, the human heart is evil, it's depraved. In fact, Jeremiah said it's desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, heart, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, the, the psalmist David, Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So he's saying from the moment of conception, we are a fallen race. So you can't expect to get something good out of something that is at the core evil how many hear me so anytime a man devises a plan because we are corrupt you've got to be careful about that plan and this plan will actually eventually enslave the masses of people worldwide and uh, uh, under the under the control of a few elite people who will want to govern how life is done worldwide. The Bible calls that the reign of Antichrist or the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. And that's really odd to be saying these things. I've, I've read about these. I studied them in college many years ago. But now it looks like we could be the generation that sees the fulfillment of these things. So the reason for this series, I want you to be aware of the things that are ahead of us. I won't do it today, but I do have a plan to just kind of go through the timeline of, of, of what it may look like as Jesus 
returns and what you can expect to see so you're not thrown off course and discouraged and, uh, and become fearful. These things are going to come. But how many know we are the people of God and we have a covenant with God? And how many know that he has promised to take care of us regardless of what happens? How many hear me? Uh, people don't realize the coming of Christ is actually a time of judgment that the Bible talks about. And uh, a lot of people are very, particularly in America, are not biblically literate enough to understand that the time of Jesus coming is actually a time of judgment for the world. Jesus is not coming back as a baby in a manger. Uh, Jesus is coming back as a lion. And he's coming back to... to uh, to do some business with his enemies and put them in their place and reclaim the earth from uh, Satan who snatched it out of uh, the control of, of Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. How many hear me? So we'll be talking about those things as we, as we go along. But uh, the really good news is, is when Jesus comes back, he's actually going to start a 1,000-year reign of peace. How many know 1,000 years is a long time? And, uh, he's, and during that thousand years, he's going to right every wrong and judge everything that needs to be judged and make this earth back to what it was after that. Revelation 21 and 22 reveals that there'll be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And you as a believer one day will get a brand new body called a glorified body that will last for eternity. So the creaks and aches and pains and mess that you're messing with right now will all be gone. And you'll have a new body that'll be able to trans transverse uh, heaven and earth. There'll be a new Jerusalem, you know, up above the city, current place, city of Jerusalem, a huge city. The Bible talks about in Revelation 21. So eyes not seen, ears not heard, hasn't even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love us. So, you know, in talking about this subject, I want to give you the scheme that God has for our future. It's not gloom and doom. It's absolutely amazing what he's planned for you and the really cool thing is the greater the darkness the brighter the light uh, years ago we went to Linville Caverns you know uh, one of the caverns up in the mountains and uh, I was a little boy and as the guide took us down 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 we all had a little flashlight with us and there were lights along the along the way and he began to say you know it's so dark here that the fish that are here in the water and we had a stream right beside us said the fish go blind uh, because because they 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 never go to or are never acclimated to light, and then we got right really down to the bottom. He said, "Everybody, cut your light off," and uh, he cut the lights off on the trail. And you know that was complete, total, utter darkness. Now you may feel like the world's headed that direction, but you know you are. Jesus was the light of the world. Now you, in His absence, are the light of the world. Jesus said so. You are salt and you're light. And you know, the, the greater the darkness, the brighter the light, right? And so Isaiah 60, arise, shine, your lights come. The glory of the Lord's risen upon you. A darkness covers the earth and gross, deep, deep darkness, the people. But the scripture says in Isaiah 60, but the Lord will arise over you, right? So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, I'm hoping I'll get there. We'll see where we go. We're looking at seven things to be aware of. Um, uh, during this time and um, uh, we've talked about a number of things I had a couple of Sundays ago uh, the Holy Spirit manifest while I was studying and he showed me that the time to come will be a time of miracles how many know that God can perform miracles 
A miracle is when God stops the customed order of nature, physics as we know it, and does what he wants to do because he wants to meet someone's need. How many know it's not normal for a 90-year-old woman to have a baby, much less a 100-year-old man, to be with her to help her have that baby? That's a little strange. I see that's a little bit above the customed order, don't you think so? I'm going to know that God took one little man, James Joseph, out of his family to, 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 to preserve a, a whole generation of people that had a covenant with God. How many know that God through Moses just through one man who was 80 years old? Don't think that you're, that you're too old for God to use you. I mean, you know, God took Moses, aged 80, after he spent 40 years doing nothing but stink, uh, taking care of stinky sheep. And God used him to part the Red Sea and bring two and a half million people out of bondage. Isn't that amazing? If God can feed, a, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago, if God can, can feed a, a prophet uh, out of a raven's beak, how many know he can take care of you in the famines that are to come? If God can feed two and a half million people with a substance called manna that falls with the dew for almost 40 years, how many know he can take care of you for a few years? If God can cause Moses to strike a rock with a stick and water comes out enough to supply two and a half million people, how many know God can take care of you if God can if God can shut a lion's mouth after a man named Daniel was thrown in there all night long with a hungry ravenous lion and the lion's just looking at him and might have been sniffing him but he never touched him how many know God can take care of you if God can cause cause the flame and the fire that's so hot you know I burned my arm on my grill it was 500 degrees and I heard the ouch but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a furnace and were never touched by the flame. Jesus got in the furnace with them. Isn't that awesome? And they came out and didn't even smell like smoke. So listen, if God can do that, if he can, he can feed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch, what can he do for you and me today? So, so do you know, as you hear all these uh, you know, people saying this is going to happen, that's going to happen, we're going to run out of food, we're going to run out of this, the water's polluted, the atmosphere's terrible, and they're doing this. Listen, God will make a way for you. And how many expect that? Because you have a covenant with God. We have the same covenant with God that God cut with Abraham. We are sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have the same covenant promises that God gave to Abraham. God promised Abraham that through, the, through him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And God promised him that he would have enough food. God promised him that his, uh, that his children would be blessed. Everything he said his hand to would be blessed. His coming in and going out would be blessed. His enemies would run away from him. So regardless of what nation you live in, today the good news is my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and when necessary perform miracles right all things are possible with God all things are possible to him who believes so as we go into the future let's expect God to be big I don't serve a little God I got a big God in fact, John, speaking of the Antichrist and all of his mess that's going to rise up in the world in 1 John 4, he ended that by saying, Greater is he, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the Antichrist and all of his entourage, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I just think that's awesome, don't you? Last week, uh, uh, we finally got to point one on my notes, which is, and during this time, you really want to develop a heart for God. And you want to have a, 
uh, heart fellowship with the Lord because that's how you, how you get through tough times is you pour your heart out. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul gave some practical advice uh, to uh, the Philippian believers at Philippi, in Philippians 4, verse 6, uh, Philip, J.B. Phillips' translation says, don't worry over anything whatever. Well, that's a good idea, but how do you actually put that into practice? And here's what he said, tell God every detail of your need in sincere and thankful prayer. And I started doing that back in my 20s. I'm 64 right now. I'll be 65 in October. And I can tell you that when you pull your heart out to God and tell him every detail, I tell him every single thing that bothers me. In fact, let me just give you, this, this looks really bad. And that hurt like crazy. I put some aloe vera and lavender on it. And, you know, it's, it's healing up really well. But you see, the enemy said, man, that's going to become infected. They're going to have sliced PCOR. I said, shut up. Just shut up. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I ask you, let the healing process begin. And may I have ab not even have a scar when it's healed up. See, you pray about everything. You hear what I'm saying? So I don't care with my physical body, with my finances, with my future here at, at church. This is my vocation. So as I pastor for you, your job, your finances, your children, your grandchildren, your physical health, your financial health, everything about you, if you'll trust it into the hands of the Lord, how many know he'll do something great with your life? And he'll use you as a signpost to others so they can see that there is hope and there's a help, help when things get to looking really bad. How many hear me? To do that, you really got to learn to get into the presence of God. When I came to Jesus, aged 18, I had been in church all my life, a Southern Baptist church. But age 18, you know the story. I got, uh, came back to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I found myself pouring my heart out to God. We ended our service last Sunday with many of us at the altar and many sitting in their seats. Just talking to the Lord. Don't just let that be a one-time event. Every day I pour my heart out. I don't care what bothers me. The Lord knows everything. I know he knows about it, but he wants me to tell him about it. And so, um, and so David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's anything that's wrong inside of me and lead me on the way everlasting. So all of us, you need a time where you seek God. How many hear me? And not, not when you're trying to dodge through the traffic on 440 going to work. Or, or 540 or 87, wherever you are. Not that because you're, you're distracted, but a time where you can get before God. I, got up, I get up at 4 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Usually I get up somewhere around 5-ish, but, uh, you know, and I start my day at reading the Word. And then you, when you get with God that way, you know, it, it's a pressure valve. How many hear me? If you don't deal with the pressures of life, the pressures can do you in. The pressures of life can really create, um, worry can create more illness than anything. Did you know that? That's what doctors say. 80-something percent of illnesses in the human body are as a result of uh, duress and stress and pressure due to worry more than any one thing. How many hear that? So the antidote to that is uh, getting in the presence of God. We talked about that in detail last week. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. See, in all your ways, acknowledge him. I, I, I don't know how to emphasize it enough. I'm talking about every minute detail of everything that bothers you. See, I take that to the Lord. And you know, when, when you live life that way, you know, it's not that there's not pressure and there's not challenges, but, but you know what? You know the antidote is there, and you know you're going to be okay. 
You know, it's kind of like uh, uh, when, I, when I was a little boy, and uh, there was a bit lightning hit my house when I was a little boy. Uh, it ran into electric lines, and, uh, you know, we had to re- completely re- rewire the entire house. Um, the light fixtures burst into thousands of pieces on the floor, and, you know, you got the receptacles. They burst all over the floor. You could actually see the lines on the wall where the uh, conduit was. It, it rattled everything in the house, and it scared the bejeebies out of me. And, you know, I can remember as a little boy when the, when the lightning storm would come, my mother, I'd go to my mother because my mother and my father, they were my place of refuge. And my mother would say, Mitch, everything's going to be okay. Um, at what time I am afraid, I will trust in you, the Bible says. So you trust the Lord, you'll be safe. And, you know, as I, I used to go to my mama when I was a little boy, I've learned to go to God. Now, you may think that's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of ignorance if you don't. If you can trust yourself, you'd be a whole lot better off already. And, and having said that, you know, there's, there are people who have trusted themselves and they've made a way in life and they have lots of money and lots of time and lots of pleasure. But you know, if you live your life without Jesus, all that would disappear in one second when your heart stops because the things that are, are of value are eternal and you don't create eternal things, God does, right? See, I hear a mocking spirit. Where is that? <laughs> Not be online. You're mocking me. You know what? It's a challenge to mock God. You got everything you need, sir. You think that beverage in your hands making you feel good? God can take the beverage away. And you know what? In a moment of time, you don't even have health. So be careful with your words and ask God to help you, and he will. How many hear me? Today, I want to go a different direction. Now, this is something I learned as a, as a really young person. 18, it took me 18 years to figure this out, but thank God I did then. Some people, it takes longer. For me, it was 18. For you, it might have been older. But I found out if you make God's word your priority in life, that life will help, that, that God will help you in life. I want to ask you a question. Have you made God's word your ultimate number one priority in life? What do you mean by God's word? The Bible. There's a lot of emphases today. Have you noticed? Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you look at, all that stuff, all kinds of emphasis. A lot of that is a plot and a design to guide you a certain direction. Did you know that? You want to be careful with that. And there's a lot of spiritual emphasis you you find today there's, a, there's an emphasis today on freight praise and worship. There's an emphasis today on the presence of God, which I think is wonderful. There's an emphasis, if you look around today, on, on uh, casting out devils. Have you noticed that recently? It's kind of, well, what is all that, you know? Here's what I found. I don't look for emphasis. I keep my life squared right on the Word of God. And if you put God's word first place in your life, everything else falls into place where it should. If you put God's word first place, you'll have time for worship in your life. If you put God's word first place, the devil has no place in you. If you put God's word first place, then every circumstance eventually has got to bow its knee to the word of God. So what I found out is you can trust, everybody trusts in something. I found if you put your confidence in the Bible, and this one's a mess, but if you put your confidence in the Word of God, the Word of God will see you through every hard place in life. And the good news, it costs you nothing because it costs Jesus everything. Did you hear me? 
And before I even get to my notes, let me remind you of what the Bible says about itself because they are so, you know, I've got a, I subscribe to a book service called Scribed, S-C-R-I-B apostrophe D, Scribed, and you have access digitally to uh, hundreds of thousands of books maybe millions all over the world. Tony, you do that. You listen to that. on. They have digital books. They also have, uh, you know, audio books and all that. But, uh, and so I read a lot. But there's, you know, think of all the books. Books have just, you know, gone crazy these days. In fact, uh, um, information is doubling just every few days now because of, because of the advent of the computer age and now the Internet for the last, you know, 30 years or so. And uh, so, so you've got you've to determine what's important to you. Because you can spend all your time reading things and it, none of it does you any good. Mm, I guess I can say I have a friend, uh, a friend I've known for many years. And this friend, this friend I noted, he went to Bible school with me years ago. Uh, he has lots of books. I mean, I was overwhelmed with how many books he had. And I thought, I, I go in his, his place, and I go, my Lord, that boy got books. And I, I met another guy in his 80s, and this guy prided himself in his library. And he had, I mean, thousands and thousands of books in his personal library. And I looked at that. I looked at my friend's library. I looked at this 80-something-year-old man who took me to his house. This was about years ago, 30 years ago. And looked at his library. I went look at my little humble library. I said, well, look at that. But here's what I have found out. You can read a lot of books, but if you don't get the book inside of you to where it changes you, it does you no good. So, so, so read little that is to be forgotten. And here's what I found out. Read only that which will help you in your future. In fact, somebody said, choose books the way you fruit choose friends. You ever heard that? So I love, I, I love words. I'm a wordsmith. I love words. I love books. But this book right here, this is the best book I have ever read. And let me tell you something about this book. See, before I even get to my subject, I want to talk to you about the word today. 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given, the Greek word is given by theonoustos. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired. Theos, the, the Greek word for God. Neustos is the word for breath. It's really also translated spirit in other passages. But, you know, all scripture is given by the breath of God. This is so much the Bible that, that, that you could literally stand before God and feel his hot breath on your face while he's talking. That's how much this is, the very word of God. How many hear me? Now, you know, most people don't treat the Bible that way. They hardly read it. If you, if you believe that, you would adhere to it, and it, you would put it first place in your life. First uh, Peter 1.21, um, holy men of God spake. It's talking about those that wrote 40, year, uh, 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 plus or minus years were used by the Holy Spirit to pen what we call the Bible. Inspiration came upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Even the Old Testament prophets that wrote the Word of God, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they, uh, they spake as they were moved, or, or um, the Greek says swept along by the Holy Spirit. God grabbed a hold of them. So we call the Bible inspired. How many hear me? 
and see God has preserved the Bible for our generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. How many hear what I'm saying? In fact, if you look at old manuscripts of books that are in antiquity and are old, if you can have, if you can find uh, four or five original manuscripts of an old book, an old antiquated book, uh, you know, say, say from some of the sages of old, 2,500 years ago or so, you could say that book is authentic. Do you know we have over 2,000 manuscripts that have been found from the Bible, from, from all 66 books we call the Bible. And so it survived generation after generation. And it's sad today that we have a generation in America is laying the Bible aside and doing what they do. In fact, we're fulfilling the book of Judges, the very last sentence of the book of Judges. Every man did what is, was right in his own eyes. And look what is getting our culture. Everybody's sad about what's happening in America. We just celebrated 4th of July, and everybody's sad about what they see happening in America. Why are those things happening? Because there's a group of people deciding to take their eyes off of the ever-living, never-changing Word of God. And friends, what's happening to our nation is what happens to an individual life. You get off kilter, you get your life away from God and see the elitists 2030 that want to control the globe. They don't want you to read the Bible. They don't want you to believe God. They don't want you to believe there is a God. They don't want you to believe history. They don't even want you to think about history. They only want you to think about the here and now and not the past. And they don't want you to see what made America great in its inception as a nation. They don't want to see, they don't want you to see that there is a God in heaven that controls everything in the world. They're trying to control everything. And see, that's the spirit of Antichrist. How many hear me? But if you get your nose in this book, this book will get inside of you and change who you are. Every, the, uh, every word of this book is inspired. All scripture is given by the breath of God. If you believe that, then you know what? You need to act like. Take your Bible. You have, anybody got a Bible in here? Hold your Bible up. If you don't have it and you got it on in digital form, I'm good. I got 40-something Bibles on my, on my iPad. Hold, hold it up. Say it out loud. Heavenly Father, I make a fresh commitment today to let the Word of God be the thing that guides me in every area of life in Jesus' name. Proverbs chapter 4 um, Solomon writing to his son said, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That is, attend or listen to my words. Pay attention to my word. He's wanting to give wisdom to his son. And see, we look at this now when we understand he's talking about the, not just his word, uh, the Holy Spirit's inspiring it to talk about the word of God. My son and you as a son or daughter of God, pay attention to my words. God's saying there's all kinds of books you can read, all kinds of things you can listen to. Pay attention to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. What does that mean? You, you ever, somebody you got a big crowd in a restaurant, you're talking to somebody, engaging them in conversation, and it's quite boisterous, you've been in that atmosphere, and you look at somebody and say, can you say that again? And you cup your hand in your ear. That's what he's saying here. Incline your ear, bow down and listen a little more intently to what I'm saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them. Keep my words in the midst of your heart. And that's what God's saying to us. For they, my words, are life 
to those who find them and health to all their body. I love that. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. My words are life. How many know Jesus said the words that I speak to you, John 6, 63, it's not in my notes. They are spirit and they are life. Did you know there's the life of God in the word of God? And now Rick Renner, who is a, a, a Greek scholar and lives in Moscow, he's an American. Fatly, I knew him in my 20s. He, was, he lived in, he's from Tulsa. Um, he, he gives a really excellent illustration. He'll take a balloon and just blow the balloon up. You know, he blow a balloon up. Did you know when you blow a balloon up, the DNA from your lungs gets inside that balloon? Because there's moisture from you in that balloon. Yes or no? Right? So, so that balloon contains you when you blow it up. So the word of God contains God. Do you get that? So you can read, you know, the classics, Shakespeare, others, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with reading some of that. It's fine. But it doesn't change you the way the word will. When you read the word of God, it is alive. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, Hebrews 4.12, right? And there's something about reading the Bible that is different than reading any other piece of information. And we need to remind ourselves of that constantly because there's so many things to read these days. Have you noticed? And that means you've got you've to figure out what's important to you and what takes the most time in your life. For me, the most important thing that I can do is read the Word, ingest the Word. I've been doing it for 40, almost 47 years now, but you know, it still brings life to me. It breathes life to me. It changes me. That's what God wants it to do. The Word of God contains Himself. Did you hear what I just said? When I ignore the Word, I'm ignoring Him. If I get dry, I need to go have a season in the Word. Praise and worship is good, and it has its place, but it shouldn't take precedence over the Word. The Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit has its place, but you should never put the moving of the Holy Spirit above the Word of God in your life. If you do, you'll get off into some kind of weird tangent, excess, and mess, and make a mess of life. How many hear what I just said? Jesus said this, Matthew 4, 4, because Satan was telling him during his wilderness temptation to make a stone into a piece of bread because he had been fasting for 40 days. And Jesus said back to him from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, I've translated that into my own life in this way, the same way that physical food nurtures my physical body. I make sure I eat certain kinds of protein every day you need carbohydrates and you need various and sundry vitamins and I take a whole slew of them in the mornings I've got you just wouldn't believe all I do but as important as that is what's even more important is that I ingest the word of God so here's what I say the same way that food gives you physical vitality and strength the same way the Word of God gives you spiritual energy and strength. The same way your food feeds you naturally, 
the word feed you spiritually. If you don't take, if you don't take time to, to feed, as you could say it, the word on the word of God, every day you'll become emaciated spiritually. And then when challenges come, when circumstances come, when the hardships of life come, when financial challenges come, when, uh, when health challenges come, when circumstances rise up and you don't have any answers, you'll, you won't have the answers and you'll be deflated inside instead of inflated. How many hear me? And what you want is to have enough of the Word of God inside of you that regardless of what comes, you're going to be okay. There was an there was a, a, a English evangelist who died in 1947, Smith Wigglesworth, who said this about about himself and about his insides: "I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside." I've noted, and, and you know, I was watching a video one day, and you know, they got these guys that are arm wrestling, and you got this big old hunky guy, he's got these big muscles, you know, and he's, you know, he's gonna quit, and he's got this other guy, that's his, uh, his opponent, and he's got this little thin arm, and it looks like he could never win, and, this, and, and they say, go! <laughs> and the big old guy, he, he thinks he's just going to puff it down. He starts struggling, he turns red, he starts sweating, and the little guy just does this. And he lays him down, and he wins. See, that's how you can be in the spirit realm. You might not be, might not look like much on the outside, but when you've got the word of God inside of you, there is no force on the outside that can defeat you because greater is he that's in you. How many hear me? And we need to learn to live that way. Job said this in all of his struggles. Job 23, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth. Watch, more than my necessary food. Man, that's amazing, isn't it? Everybody likes to eat. Susan, I just went to an Italian restaurant, mom and pop shop, and we bragged on it all Friday night. Ooh, that's the best I've ever tasted. But you know, the truth is, it doesn't come near to being as good as the word. Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Jeremiah talked about the word as food. Your words were found and I ate them and your word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How many of us can say like, like Jeremiah, your word makes me smile. Your word makes me happy. Your word makes me want to dance. Psalm 19, this is a song we learned in the 1970s. Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord, talking about the word of God, calls it the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It changes how you think inside. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You may not know what to do. You might be the dumbest person in the room because you don't have the education and the initials after your name. But if you ingest the word of God, you become the smartest person in the room because God can give you more wisdom than your teacher, Psalm 119 says, right? And so he says, uh, making wise the simple eight, verse eight, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. How many know the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength? Count it all joy. Joy comes from the word. He says the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If you want to know which direction to go in life, you get in the word, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you. 
Then he says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then ends it by saying, more to be desired are they than gold. Gold is a standard. And you know, now there's a, I think there's another uh, uh, 100 nations of the world are going to what they call BRICS, which is a new, a new form of currency that will replace uh, the American dollar and its uh, and its foundation is gold. It's a gold standard currency. Why is gold important? Because gold doesn't lose its value. Precious metals don't lose value. So he says, more to be desired are they your words than gold, yes, than much fine gold or refined gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You know, honey lasts a long time. I understand they found honey from antiquity and it hasn't gone bad. It never goes bad. You know, I've got some Maluka honey at home. I spent a lot of money on it. It's from New Zealand. It has antibodies in it that will heal your body. I actually put some on my burn. Honey, you think about how, 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 what honey does. A lot of people don't know a lot about honey. How many know nature? God put things in nature to keep your body well. Moreover, by this, and so he says, yes, the much fine gold sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by your word is your servant warned. Now watch this. He ends it by saying, and by keeping them, the word, comes great reward. If you'll stick with God's word through life, it will stick with you. And it'll help you through every problem. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments have made me wiser than my enemies, for you're continually with me. Psalm 119.105, in fact, Psalm 119 is an acrostic. Every, every letter of the Hebrew alphabet is found in Psalm 119. And every verse of Psalm 119 has something to say about the Word of God. So I'm just going to read a couple of these. Psalm 119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So if you're looking for direction, do I marry this person? Do I leave this person alone? Do, do, do I take this job? Do I buy this house? Do I live in this city? Do I fellowship with these people? Do I go to this church? Look to the word of God. It's a lamp. And the word is a light. If you're saying, I don't know what to do, spend more time in the word. Because the word will enlighten your steps and guide your way. Yes or no? Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of your word, here it is again, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So you may have said, well, I'm not really all that smart. Well, you know, the God's word will make you smart. Because it will give you wisdom. I have been around quite a few educated idiots in my day. You ever met any of those? Some people make it their uh, destination, just stay in school lifelong. I think I feel like education, I'm fine. Uh, but what are you being educated with and to? And what is that ed should education based on? What are the principles of that educational material based on? See, you want to ask all those questions now. And now, you know what? In America, you need to be careful with what kind of college you go to. Because there could be atheistic principles that undergird what the teachers are teaching you and they'll pull your heart away from God. The stats are not good for, for Christians, believers who have children, who are raised in Christian school. I didn't mean to get off in all this. But who are raised in Christian school and then they send their children off to a secular college to atheist teachers who take their faith away. 
So, you know, don't, don't, be, don't be so um, surprised if you send your children who stayed in a bedroom in your house, who you read the Bible to, prayed at meals over and prayed with them various times a day, took them to Sunday school, took them to church. They praised God with you, but you send them to an institution that's void of God. Don't be surprised that they leave God alone. I think that's very foolish to do. How many hear me? I got a lot to say about that, but it'll have to be another time. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Now listen to this. God is no closer to you than his word that you have in your heart. Uh, late 1970s, I bought a book, E.W. Kenyon, Essex W. Kenyon, was a man beyond his time. He was born in 1860. He died, I think, in 1948. And uh, when I first came to Jesus in September of 1976, he was a there was a judge in our town that attended the church that I began to attend after I came back to Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this judge had to be in his late 60s, early 70s. He was an aged man, but he was just, he carried himself well. He was always manicured cured well, uh, always had a just, just perfectly, just perfectly attired all the time. His hair was never out of place. He had white hair. And when I looked at this judge uh, uh, and I started reading books by E.W. Kenyon, he looked exactly like this judge that taught the Sunday school class that I attended in the church that I came to the Lord in in 1976. I always think about him. E.W. Kenyon was a man beyond his time. He had in Christ truths. Any of his books, you can now find them on Amazon. They're in digital form. For many years, his family wouldn't allow them to be, uh, to be digitized. They are now. And, uh, but I've had these books, all of them in my library. Most of them have completely fallen apart because I've read them probably more than any other books. In fact, I read a book in our prayer time at 8 o'clock this morning from a book by E.W. Kimian in his presence. And there's one chapter I've read, I don't man, dozens and dozens. I could probably over a period of 40-something years, say hundreds of times because it's changed my life and it keeps my faith buoyed up and strong. But here's A.W. Kenyon. I was reading a book entitled New Creation Realities by Essex W. Kenyon, E.W. Kenyon, and the first, the first sentence of the first chapter, I had to literally close the book. I, I promise, I closed the book. So I, I'm done. I can't read anymore today because I had to think about it. Here's what he said. Our attitude towards the word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. So where's God? What's God to you? Where's his word to you? Look at that. Isn't that something? New cre That's the book. New cre That's probably got a different cover now. Our attitude towards the word. Wow. Determines the place that God holds in our daily life. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Does that make you think? If you rarely read the Bible, then you rarely do anything with God. I've heard people, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. I've heard people over the years say, well, I just love the Lord, Pastor Mitch. And, and their Bible's gathering dust. Or, or you know, you know they, they put it, used to, I don't know if you do it here back in South Carolina, where I'm from. Uh, they put it on the dashboard so when you stop at the red light, you got a Bible. Or, or they put it in the back, you know, so in the back window, you can see, they must go, they must go to church. Now, that don't matter. What's inside of you? Our attitude towards the Word determines the place that God holds in our daily life. Over the years, I've counseled past uh, uh, families and, you know, 
men, women with, about their children and such. And, you know, you got a wayward son, wayward daughter, and they've gotten into this and that and the other. And I've invariably had, and you've heard this, I've had so many people say, oh, but he's, a good, he's such a good boy. That boy loves the Lord. But he just got caught with drugs. And, and, and he just got in a wreck and he was drunk. Oh, but he's got a good heart. He loves the Lord. You ever thought that? Oh, but he loves the Lord, Pastor Ben. I know he did bad. I know he, I, I know he got in trouble at school and beat four people up, and they had to be hospitalized. But he's a good boy. Listen to what Jesus said. He who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. The telltale proof that I love Jesus is that I love his word. If I do nothing with his word, I do nothing with him. Yes or no? See, why am I saying this? Because in the future, our future success when the world begins to crumble and they try to make this 2030 thing happen before the rapture occurs and whisks us away and the Antichrist appears, which I think we'll probably see him for a while, what we do with the word is going to determine whether or not we succeed through that and keep our faith. There will be a lot of people to fall away. So my attitude towards the words, everything, right? It is. He who has my commandments and keeps them, and he's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What's the telltale sign that I love Jesus? I get in the word. If I do nothing with the word, I do nothing with him. You can listen to praise and worship all day long, but if you're not in the word, you don't love him. If not just the word, you can read the word and then lay it down and go live like a dog. This is a weird story, and I didn't mean, it's not, I didn't even think about it till just now. This is 1981. I, I graduated from my second Bible school, and uh, we've been to three. This was the second one, and uh, out of the will of God, I took the associate pastorate of a church in my hometown, and I moved 1,200 miles out of the will of God to start ministry, hip, hip, hooray. That's really smart. So, uh, and I preached every Sunday night, got people saved, got people filled with the Spirit, healed and all that, and then, uh, and then found out I was out the will of God and I had to go back to where I was supposed to be. But during that time, there was one Sunday night uh, before service, we had a lady who was, uh, had some real serious mental problems. In fact, she was catatonic. Do you know what catatonic is? That means she's sitting there, not batting her eyes, not moving any limbs, sitting in a chair. You have to move her arm. You have to move her leg. She just don't move by herself. Catatonic. She's got some huge mental debilities. And uh, so somebody said, I want you to come and minister to her, minister deliverance to her. I said, mm, okay, okay, we'll see what happens. So the pastor and I took her in the room and... Uh, so I sat down, and, um, you know, I did all the wrong things. <laughs> Let me just say that. And because, uh, you know, I was 22. And uh, so she's sitting there, not even batting an eye. And I said, well, now, you, you want to love Jesus. Now, when I said Jesus, that woman went berserk. She said, Jesus, do I love Jesus? She began to quote Scripture. And then begin to pull her hair. I said, oh boy. You know what I found out? Devils can quote scripture. I'm not even going to tell you the rest of the story because it's cuckoo. Nonetheless, what I learned from that was even devils can quote scripture. 
In fact, James 2 says the devil believes so intensely in God that he trembles. Problem is he won't do what he says. He won't do what God says. So I don't care if you can quote scripture. And a lot of people in prison can quote scripture. But they're still there. And they still live like a dog, even though they read the Bible. Because they're under such condemnation, they read, right? Huh? Yeah, it's true. So what's the difference? You've got to put it into practice. If Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep or obey my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make his home. we'll make our home with him. Did you know if you'll put God's word first in your life, God said he'd make his home with you. Now, what would it mean for Jesus to live in your house? What, it would, mean, what would it mean for God the Father to come and, and live in your house? That means there'll be peace. That means there'll be solutions to problems. That means your finances will be taken care of. He'll show you what to do, give you wisdom, tell you to stop spending that money on what you don't need to buy. He'll get to talking. To, is that true? He'll start talking to you strong. If your children are out of order, he'll say, can we have a, we have a moment alone? You need to take that child and do what Proverbs says. And I'll let you figure out what that is. 1 John 2, 3. Now we, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments or obey his word. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I love the Lord, Pastor Mitch. <sighs> <sighs> Yeah, I've met church members that smoke pot. Monday through Saturday in church service, they come to church. Over the years, I don't have anybody. Nobody does that here, of course. Of course not. Of course not. Or I've met drunkards, but they come to church. Wow. See, see, the telltale sign is, do I know his word? Do I practice his word? Am I attending to his word? Am I inclining my ear to what he's saying, right? So here's what you got to know. The Word of God is, is as much God's Word as if you could feel His hot breath on your, on your face, right? And the Word of God has the potential because it contains God's life and nature to alter you and your circumstances. Huh? Now, here's one thing that I have found out. The Word will give you stability, in your mind, in your emotions, and in life in general. I've said this many times, it bears repeating. When I came to Jesus, I was like a, a roller coaster emotionally and mentally. I was up one day and down the next. And you could throw, just say one thing, or I could think about one thing, and I would stay on that one thing because my mind was so obsessive, and, and I would become so depressed and deflated, and life would be so sad, and I just had, I, I felt hopeless. That's how my life was when I came to Jesus. But I found if I put my mind on God's word and keep my mind on his word and keep my mind away from the gutter stuff that is all around me and that is in my past, you know what? I start rising up. Things get start getting better. And I stabilize out. And then I found Isaiah 33, 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. The word of God will be the stability of your times and strength of salvation. And you know what I found out? You're no more strong spiritually than you are strong in the, in the word. You know, we're to be strong in the Lord, Paul said in Ephesians 6, and in the power of his might. To be strong in the word is to be strong in the Lord. Without the word, I have no spiritual strength because I have no spiritual food, right? Woo! 
It brings stability. When I came to Jesus as an 18-year-old, this I mean, so many things begin to straighten out. It wasn't, um, some of it was um, really quick. Others took some time. One thing uh, that ruled me was debilitating fear. I had a fear, and I've told you about this many times in the past. Uh, I had a fear that I was going to die as a young man for a, a, a one specific reason. Somebody read my palm in a Methodist church um, uh, a meeting uh, October 31 Halloween and told me my lifeline was short and, I, and they told me you're going to die young and that thing debilitated me a fear of illness a fear of uh, accidents a fear of death a fear of a thousand and one things there are thousands of phobias they begin to feel me I was afraid of everything I was you know I'm the guy hiding behind the bush can I, can I walk? Can I go? And it just scared the bejeebies out of me. But I read one scripture, one, O-N-E, one, and it changed me. Woo. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When I read that verse the first time, I said, you know what, fear? Get out of my life. Leave me forever. Then I started saying, I'm not going to die in my tweens. I'm not going to die in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s or my 50s or my 60s. And I'm in my 60s now or my 70s. And I'll let you know later about the 80s with a long life. He said, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I kicked the fear right out of my life. And thereafter, every time fear came, fear is a spirit. And you deal with fear the way you deal with a spirit. And that means a demon spirit. You foul fear, I resist you. You know, we just finished this building. You just don't know how many times you're going to fail. That thing ain't going to work. Nothing's going right. You're going to have to turn your tail and run. You're going to have to quit. And I, I said, shut up. I, I refuse the spirit of fear. And you're going to have to do the same thing. How many hear me? inferiority because of the way I was raised as a loner in the country, the absence of friends. I developed an inferiority also because I started school at age five and skipped from the sixth grade to the eighth grade, which put me several years behind everybody in school. I started high school as a 15-year-old, no, uh, 12th grade, my senior year, 15 years old. Wow. I graduated high school 16. See, you know, God gave me a mind. But see, it, it developed an inferiority in me. And you know what? When I found out that it doesn't matter, and people would pick on me mercilessly because I didn't have the skill. I wasn't a agile as I, as, I, you know, as I was when I got a little older because my body grew up before my, before my skill set turned on. And I was, you know, just... Uh, I'd stumble over myself. But, you know, uh, so it developed an in inferiority in many ways in me. But when I came to Jesus, age 18, seriously, I'm telling you that God can turn an introvert into an extrovert. And I'm telling you that God can replace inferiority in you. I told this to somebody the other day, J.B. Phillips translation, 1 Corinthians um, 4, 3. It matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. Isn't that good? But he that judges me in the Lord. Then I found out Ephesians 1, 6. It's not in the notes. That I was accepted by God. I'm not rejected by him. I'm accepted by him. I'm accepted in the beloved. Did you know you're accepted by God because of Jesus?
Did you know that he loves you because of Jesus? Did you know you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? That you should be holy and without blame before him in love. You know what that means? God has forgiven you of all your past, all your misdeeds, all your wrong words, all your wrong relationships, all your foul mess. He has forgiven you, brought, brought you to himself. He hugs you into his bosom. You're accepted in the beloved, and you're the father's favorite. Woo-hoo-hoo! And he loves you just as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. See, when you learn that from the word, when you, when you embrace those things, it changes who you are. I had a nagging sense of condemnation. I am a, an entrepreneurial uh, uh, personality, and if you are, there are two things that are, I know about you. You are obsessive, and you are compulsive. And the obsessiveness means you think about things over and 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 over again. That's obsession and then compulsiveness. It looks like compulsiveness, but because you've ruminated something for so long, it looks like you're making snap decisions, but you've been thinking about that thing for six months. You hear what I'm saying? That's the way it is. So, but if you're that way, uh, you, your worst enemy is you. Your worst enemy is you. Condemnation hangs on your head and you never do it exactly right. And see, that was part of my personality as a kid. You know what I found out? Nobody ever does it right but Jesus. You know what else I found out? When I read the word, the God-breathed word, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judging guilty them that are in Christ Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That means God forgave gave and forgot all of my past, all of my mis- misdeeds, all of my wrong words, all of my wrong actions, all of my wrong choices, all of the wrong motives. He has forgiven and cleansed me and treats me as though it never happened. Whoa. Now, tell me, that won't light your fire. 100% will. See, see, that's what the Word of God will do. It'll bring stability. So when I begin to read years later, Isaiah 33, 6, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and strength of salvation. Well, Pastor, there ain't a stable bone in my body. Well, you can become stable if you'll base your life on the Word. You say, Pastor, there's parts of me that are unstable. They can become stabilized by God Almighty if you'll put the Word first place in your life. How many hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you guys, this is amazing. Uh, let me say, because of this, 1979, I was three years old in God. I've told this story before, but this one part I want to get across today. 1979, uh, I was um, the first Bible school that I attended is where I met my wife Susan. We'll be married 44 years this year, I think. Uh, we got married in 1979, uh, but we met there at the Bible school in one of the classes there. And, uh, you know, that Bible school was well-known on the East Coast back in, in the 1970s, the mid-1970s. They had a television program, yada, yada, and all that. Um, but anyway, that spiritual leader went south. Now, how many know you can be right, but you can become wrong? If you stop doing the things that got you to where you are, you can go south real fast. Did you know that? That's why all of us need accountability and we need people around us that can talk to us in firm ways if necessary. Well, he didn't have that. He was his own boss and nobody told him anything. And you know what? This man got off. I picked up on it in prayer and went actually dumbly and had a meeting with him, thought I could really help him. I found out, you know, when you mess up, the last thing you want, somebody pointing their finger in your face saying, you the man, you wrong. 
You know, David didn't go looking for the prophet Samuel. He came looking for him. Is that true? Yes? So anyway, I, I found, I went into his office and said, I, I picked up something in prayer. I don't know what's wrong. Something's going on. This guy was wrong. He got off spiritually and, and nobody knew what it was because he hid it really well. But how many know you can't hide your stuff from God? And I'm just three years old in the Lord. I went to see him and uh, because I picked the scab, so to speak, off the sore, that man got mad at me. And he told me in five years, because you're in rebellion to me as your spiritual pastor and as the overseer of the school that you attend, you are in rebellion. And 1 Samuel 15 says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You're actually practicing witchcraft. The devil is dominating your life. In five years' time, you'll be on your road to hell. Now, how would you like for your pastor, how would you like for me to say that to you? How many know, you know, that added... You ever heard the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? I've had people say things I'd rather have a ball bat and just beat me black and blue because I can get over that quicker than I can words. Is that true? And when he said that to me, the caliber of the person that's speaking to you, I mean, that's what affects you. If a little kid that doesn't know what he's saying says that to you, you just look at him and say, he's an idiot. But if your pastor says that to you or somebody you love and know well says, boy, that hurts, right? So be careful with your words. I'm very careful with my words. Um, I very rarely let my mouth say what it wants sometimes because I know the value of my words, right? He said that to me. I tell you, y'all, it threw me into a mental I don't even know how to describe it. I should have gone to see like a, like a counselor somewhere or something. I didn't do it because I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to tell on him. I wouldn't tell anybody what he said to me because the Bible says if you walk in love, you shut your mouth as to other people's sins. So I never told about anybody in the school what he said. Therefore, I couldn't tell my friends. I, the only person I told was Susan was my fiance, my current, my current, my only, my current wife, my only wife, my current wife. My current wife is my only wife which I've had for 44 years. <laughs> my, don't tell her I said my current wife. Correct. <laughs> I told my wife, y'all okay? <laughs> I told my wife, my mother, I went home because I still lived at home going to school, you know. I had gone to college and then I switched college, went to Bible college. And I told my mother and then a friend was there. And I opened the door to my mother's house after he said that. And all the way home, I was thinking that little added sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I said, that's a lie. That is just a lie. Those words, I can't get away. From, I couldn't get away from the words. And then the enemy, how many know the enemy will take somebody else's words and drive them in the dirt with you and, and won't let you forget what somebody said? You ever had that happen to you? Well, that happened to me here on steroids. And so, you know, it made me feel like spiritually I'm, I'm a loser because God called me into ministry and now I can't, how can I if I'm on my road to hell and I'm, in, and I'm in rebellion? And all I could hear was what he was saying. So I couldn't tell any of my Bible school friends. I told my mother and, my, and Susan, my fiance, and, and then one other friend that was there, but nobody else. And uh, I wept every day. And every day I felt like I was just going to go straight to hell. It was awful. I can't tell you. I can't describe how emotionally... Uh, twisted I felt I just can't I felt alone all the time do you know when you have pressure on you you can feel alone in a crowd you ever feel alone 
That's your thoughts. And you've got a few. And, but let me tell you my salvation. And, and, you know, this was, I was three years old in Jesus when this happened. And, and, you know, in some ways, I know it sounds funny. I'm glad it happened then. Because this one thing right here has kept me all my life. I would go to work every day. I'd go to church and I couldn't even sing because that pastor said that to me and I wouldn't tell anybody. I didn't feel the presence of God when I read the Bible, when I did some worship on my own. I didn't feel anything. I felt dead. I felt non-alive spiritually. That's how I felt. And uh, so I'd go to work every day and uh, I'd just feel dead. I'd go to Bible school and feel dead. And all I could hear was his words, you're on your road to hell, you, you're, you're in rebellion, and rebellion's as the sin of witchcraft. You know what kept me? Instead of thinking on that, the, by, by the second day I said, you know, I'm going to go batty. I'm going to go berserk if I don't do something with my mind. And friends, if you don't keep your mind, your mind will take you where you should never go. And let me tell you what happened. This is true. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. This is the power of the Word of God. I had memorized. I said, well, how, what am I going to do, God? What am I going to do? How am I going to combat these thoughts? How am I going to combat what this man said to me? What he said is not true, but I'm telling you that's all I can think about. And it's got me all messed up. And I didn't understand a lot of things. I didn't understand the dynamics of human personality and, and all of that then that I, some of it I understand now. But you know what I did understand? The Bible. And God gave me two scriptures that saved my soul. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am, and I'd say it all day long, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, y'all, listen. I, all day long, every day, I'm working. I worked in a grocery store. They got the Muzak music years ago playing, you know, in the background, top 40. And, uh, but, you know, I make, I'm, and then I'm hearing in the background this pastor's voice. And I'm saying, you know, I can choose what I, th and I started choosing what I thought about. And I made myself, I quoted Romans 8, 38 and 39 all day long. I would say it over and over inside myself, over and over and over. Do you know it took me? That happened February 29th, 19, February 28th, 1979. It took me until May, listen, the 1st of May of 1979 to get over the emotions and the screwed up thinking he produced by what he said. And the thing that was my salvation, all of March, all of April, it took two full months all day long thinking on that verse right there. And you know what? One day I woke up and my emotions were calm. My mind was calm. And what he said had been quantified by God. And it wasn't true. And I'm okay. I never was on my road to hell. I'm not on my road to hell now. I'm not in rebellion. I've never practiced witchcraft. All of that was a lie. Isn't that great? Now, you know what that taught me? The biggest battles are not outside, they're inside. And you can win your biggest battles if you can put God's word in your thought patterns. Because the word of God is full of God's DNA. It's full of his life. It's full of his nature. And it'll get inside of you and change you. It'll sustain you. And it'll help you in the hard place. How many hear me? Now, you know, that was in 1979. I've been through a trial or two, you know. 
over the past 40 something years. And uh, I'm telling you, God's word, if you'll stand by it, it'll stand by you. If you'll, if you'll get it in you, it'll rise up in you when you need it. How many hear me? And I learned that. I learned that, I would say, the hard way. And, and you know, I'm really glad, listen, this 10 years ago, let me give you some for instances of what the Word will do. And I've got, I could, we can stay here if you want to. We can stay here this afternoon. I'll talk. But I knew you're going to leave and go to lunch, so I'll stop soon. Ten years ago, you know, we bought this property. I actually broke my left arm riding my bicycle on the newly built uh, Noose River Greenway. And uh, I, my, my hum- this is one of the largest bones in your body, the humerus. I told you that before. And I broke it completely in two. And... Um, uh, anyway, anyway uh, a long, sh- short story is God told me as I was on the way to my office in the other building in Garner, said, Mitch, if you'll let me, I'll give you a building that's better. I'll, I'll give you a piece of property that's better than what, and we had our eyes on a piece of property. I said, all right. And, uh, and then I broke my arm, and then because I was here, I got a call about this property here. And this property was uh, being foreclosed, and they were looking, the owner wanted a, a, pass, a, a church to uh, uh, uh buy this property uh the, actually the federal government wanted this property as a staging area and they were going to pay cash more than it's worth for it but the owner of the property said i didn't want the and you know it's close by i ain't gonna say anything more about that except the owner's close by and he said i don't want the government in my backyard how many would want the government in your backyard no so uh, I found out because I broke my arm, I was here. I was supposed to be in Africa, and I couldn't go. And because I couldn't go, I got a phone call. How many know all things work together for good to them that love God? So just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean that God can't make good out of it. Is it true? Just remember that. So every time I pull onto this property and thinking, you know, God can turn every bad thing into something good if you let him. That's what happened here. So we bought this property. We actually entered into contract to buy this property. Now, I'm talking about the value of the Word of God and what the Word of God will do for you. And uh, so we had 60 days to get financing, and we got a good deal on it. And uh, I said, well, we don't have all that money in the bank. We got some in the bank, but not that much. So we had to get a loan from a bank. So, uh, so we get, begin to investigate. Say we got 60 days to do diligence. That means to get the money you need for the property and, and uh, you know, have a bank uh, at least promise to loan you the money and close at a certain date. So we started looking. Listen to this. <laughs> I had 11 bankers come into my office. Did you hear what I just said? 11. Everybody say 11. <laughs> the first nine said, we won't have anything to do with you. I said, you have a great day. God bless you. Big, real big. I didn't say it that way. I said, God bless you. And they just, because we were not denominational, we're, inter, we're non-denominational, we don't have a denominational backing. And they said, well, because of that, if you were Baptist, you Methodist, you Presbyterian, we'd help you. But because you're by yourself, bye, have a good day. I said, well, God bless you. God bless you big. Then we had another banker come, and he said, well, I'll give you half of it. I said, well, I don't need half of it. I need all of it. Bye. You have a good day, too. Don't let the door hit you where the good, I won't say that. And then the 11th banker came. And all I kept saying is, God, all these bankers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, nine. I just need one to say they, they'll help us. I don't need 11, I need one. I don't need nine, I need one. 
So the 11th one said, we'll do it. And so listen, here's the story. But listen, April 1st, 2013, by five, that was a Monday on that year. And by five o'clock, we had to have a, a paper in our hand from uh, the banker saying, we promised to loan Victory Church XYZ dollars for the property, yada, yada. And, and because that's what would satisfy the contract that we had with the person that we're buying the property from. And then there was, and guess what the government did? I'm telling you this for a reason. The government... Uh, said where they entered into a contract called second right of refusal, which means if the first contract doesn't follow through and get their financing, the second contract is automatically in effect. And the second contract will go in effect April 1st, 5.01 p.m. if you don't have the paper in your hand that you have the money. Now, I knew all that. Most people didn't. The board knew that. I knew that. I didn't tell you all that. So I'm just whiling away. Praise God, we got the property. Hot dog, hip, hip, hooray. Everybody's happy. What a beautiful day. And I believe in God with everything inside me. Now, let me tell you what, what, and I've done this a number of times in my life, and I do it constantly. What Jesus says, you can take to the bank. Yes or no? So Jesus said this in Mark 11:20. 20. Y'all okay? Because I'm not even near done, but I'll be through for quick. You got time? Y'all got time? Jesus said this in Mark eleven twenty two: have faith in God, or literally it reads, have the faith of God. That, it, that means live the way God is. For whoever says to the mountain, the mountain um, is, 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 a, is a word for the problems of life. Whoever says to the problems, the mountain be removed, be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, he'll have what he says. I said, okay, therefore I say to you, Jesus said, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Now I took this thing to the Lord when we got the, the um, okay and we entered into contract to buy the property. I said, God, I need XYZ money for this property right here and I need it by April 1 at 5 o'clock. I need, I need some way to get this money so I can fulfill this contract with get this property because we, we were out of room where we were. And uh, so you know what I did every day? Lord, I just want to thank you for your promises. I thank you for your word. See, God's word is forever settled in heaven. Did you hear me? God always, in fact, Jeremiah 1.12 says, God said, I watch over my word to perform it. Whoo, whoo, whoo. So question, do you have any word in your life that you're allowing God to watch over to perform in you? If you're praying and believing God, what scriptures are you standing on? Well, not any in particular. Well, that's what you're going to get, nothing in particular. What scriptures are you standing on? So every time I pray, I just don't pray in the wind. I say, God, I need an answer here right now. And here you said Mark 11, 22 through 24, and I quoted it to him. He already knew it. Knew it. I did it for me. I said, now you said that. I'm asking you to do that for this. I ask you in Jesus' name that I would have XYZ money by April 1, 5 o'clock, and that we'd have this property. We'd be able to get into this property, and we'll eventually pay the thing off. Let it come to pass in Jesus' name. I believe I receive. That's what you do. That's called acting on God's word, right? Right? 
See, I acted on God's word with my mind and emotions by saying nothing will separate me from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor, nor nor things present nor things to come, no demonic activity, nothing high, nothing low will ever separate me from God. But this time I said, God, you said that if I believe I receive what I ask for, you give it to me. So I'm asking you for this. So every day when I thought about this property, I'd say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, the bank, you know, we... We, we went through all that. The 11th person, 11th bank said yes. And then it's just a matter of time. And, you know, people are busy. And it got right down to the very last day at 5 o'clock. We did not have the paper in our hand. Every day I kept saying, Mark 11, 24, Lord, you said whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive, you'll have. I just want to thank you. I believe I receive. I believe I receive the money. I believe I receive. I believe I receive. Thank you for that thing being in my hand. And, you know, come Friday, uh, Friday at 5 o'clock, you know, the bank was out, the banker was out of town, whatever, you know, circumstances are that way. Monday morning, well, he's out of town, won't be back till whatever. And we kept calling throughout the day because I needed that thing at 5, 5 o'clock on April 1st. Five o'clock, April 1st, we called the man. Well, he's not here yet. And you know what I did? I, I didn't do anything but say, God, here's what you said. And I quoted to him, Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. And I ended it by saying, Lord, I believe I received the money for this. It don't matter what it looks like. I'm not moved by what I see or feel. I'm moved by what you said. And no kidding. At 5.20, we finally got a call from the bank. Said, oh, I'm sorry, we forgot to do that. We'll sing that to you. And y'all, the next morning, 8 o'clock, they faxed that thing. We had it right there immediately. We had to pay. I had the hot little paper in the hand. And then the other guy, the guy that was supposed to call at 5 o'clock to see if we got it, he didn't call. He got busy. He called about 9 o'clock. Said, I want to see if you got the paper. I said, oh, yeah, we got it right in our hand right here. He said, okay, we can have the property. And we signed on this June the 3rd, 2013. And this became our property. And God good. And then we had to upfit and all that. So, you know, I, I could, I could um, talk about things like that until you're tired of me talking. Say, shut up, Mitch. I get what you're saying. When you trust God's word, when you honor God's word, God's word will honor you. In fact, God will honor his word that you believe. So are you giving God anything to believe? Can I tell you one more story? Now, and I've told this a good bit, but I want to tell one little nuance of it. Susan and I, 1980, we got married September of 1979. Nine months later, uh, second Bible school I went to was Kenneth Hagin School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Rama Bible Training Center. It was called then, that's Rama Bible College. But uh, So we knew we needed to move to Tulsa to go to our second Bible school, and we had been married again for nine months. I worked at a grocery store, and I've always given my house. In fact, the, the guy that oversaw the grocery store that I worked at uh, came up to me and said, we want to train you to be a manager of a store. You'll make really good if you can make the sales in the store. In fact, you will have, uh, you'll have bonuses three or four times a year, and you'll make a really amazing salary. And then if you want to, you can go ahead into a regional and become a regional manager and make really good money. So as you know, as an as a 18-year-old, that smells good oh, okay I can do that but anyway uh, God called me to preach that was history but nonetheless because I worked hard I, uh, I took a letter of recommendation from my uh, former employer in South Carolina as we moved to Tulsa and there was a, a, a grocery store there that what in today's dollar paid what it was unionized and it eventually broke the grocery store because you can't pay your average wage wage earners that much they paid $30 an hour what would be in today's dollars, 30 plus dollars. And that ain't bad for a little kid, would you say? Going to college? Hello. So, man, that's a little carrot dangling out in front of me. I said, I got to have that job because I got to, I had two car payments. I got my, uh, 
you know, I got to pay for my apartment. I got to pay for school and all that. And I got to live, got to, you know, pay for the lights and the gas and the insurance and all that. So $30 an hour, that smells good. Now, again, that's today's dollars. And uh, I said, now, Lord, and I did that same thing, Mark eleven twenty four. Lord, whatever you desire when you pray, you said, believe you receive, you'll have. I want that job. I know there's lots of jobs in Tulsa, but I need that one right there. I have a witness in my heart that you want me to do this. And so I ask you for this job in Jesus' name. I need it. Now, when I got to Tulsa, you know what I did? It's not, it's not 2023. It's 1979. There's no internet. There are no cell phones. Can you imagine life with no internet or cell phones? Can you even imagine? So life was different. So I had to I put a suit on. I put my, nice, I put my nicest cologne on. I had hair. I perfected my hair even comb my mustache 23 stores they had 23 stores unionized stores in Tulsa I made it my job if you don't have a job make it your job to get a job if you're just hanging out living off of the government you should just repent because you're lazy and you can work and you don't you got a problem and God can't bless that and God can't bless laziness right so I said, God, I'm going to work somehow. I'm a young man. I can work. Help me work this thing. And I did the Mark 11. Lord, whatever you desire when you pray. I'm praying. Believe you receive. I need the job working at that grocery store. It was Safeway. They've, they've since went on. They were the largest grocery chain in the world at the time. And they paid that much for it. And I actually became a, man, a nighttime manager. And I actually made more than ever. People worked there 30-something years. So let me tell you what happened. Day after day for two months, it looked like I'd never get the job. And you know what? Every day, uh, as we, our bank account dwindled down, and we're from South Carolina living in Tulsa, and we don't know anybody there, and we're saying, oh, God, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. You want to say that? But I said, Father, I pray, prayed. I believe I received. Susan couldn't even find a job, and she's a medical lab technologist. And we kept looking, looking, praying, believing. And it wasn't the greatest, you know, it wasn't the greatest time for our economy in 19. In 1980, anyway, and so anyway, we just kept believing. And I, every day, I'd thank God, say, "Lord, it looks like I don't have a job, but you said I have one if I believe Mark 11:24, and I do. I believe I receive that job." So I went and I made it my job. All 23 of those stores every week, I frequented them. Got a job, and the managers would say, "Not today, not today, not today, not today." One Sunday night, I was at church. This is what happens when you act on God's word. God makes the impossible possible. Did you hear what I said? So why am I saying this? Because in the future, when the economy goes awry, the dollar falls to nothing. When it looks like nobody's got a job and nothing can happen, God will work miracles for you if you trust him. How many hear what I just said? But you've got to believe him. Now, you know what? I'm ready to believe. So, uh, but two months went by, we dwindled our bank account down, and uh, we were sitting at church in a, on a Sunday night. And... Uh, it was 20 miles from my house on the other side of Tulsa. We lived in Broken Era, which is a suburb of Tulsa, much like Garner would be, you know, to, uh, to Raleigh here. And um, <clears throat> so we're sitting there, and the Lord said, Mitch, I want you to give X dollars into the uh, offering. I said, what do you mean? You want me to give my money in the offering? I ain't making any money. This is my savings for school. He said, I want you to give it. And I said, wait a minute. You got me talking to the wrong person. It's not income. I'm supposed to tithe on I ain't made anything. I already tithed on it. He said, I want you to give an offering. I said, you're joking. I don't have money to give. He said, I want you to give an offering tonight. I said, you're kidding me. And you know, my head and my heart, you ever, your head and your heart ever struggled? So I sat there, you know, I said, Susan, the Lord's telling me to give money in the offering. She looked at me and said, 
Well, Mitch, if God said it, you better go do it, son. It's okay. So I wrote the check out, put it in offering plate. And said, okay, Lord. But you know what? Mark eleven twenty four. I said, Lord, you said, whoever's, uh, Mark eleven twenty three. whoever says to the mountain, the mountain then was no job. Be removed, be cast into the sea. Doesn't doubt in his heart, believes what he says is going to pass. He'll have what he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you desire with your pray, believe you receive, you'll have. Now, Lord, you said that. And I gave that money, I thank you. And you know what? I was on the way home. Let me tell you how God, if you'll act on God's word, God's word will come through for you. We had to finish the service about 9 o'clock at night. We're two learn away back, 20 miles back through the suburbs of, uh, of uh, Tulsa. And we stopped at, a, at a, a, a light. You can go look it up on Google Map if you want to. Pine and Lewis. And there was a Safeway store to my right. And it's 9 o'clock at night. And I'm, I, I know enough to, about the industry to know ain't nobody. Ain't no. And I'm going to say it the South Carolina way. Ain't no grocery store manager in his store at nine o'clock on Sunday night. He's out doing something else. And the Lord said, go in that store, you'll get a job. I said, I don't need to go in that store. Now, how many know, you know, it's not very smart if you argue with God. <laughs> and Susan and I, we were in our nice Camaro. I said, Susan, I got to go in that store. I turned, I turned the blinker light right, and I turned right on that light, turned right into the parking lot, said, this is dumb as dirt but I'm going to do what God said. Walked in the store, and the assistant manager was there, and I said, sir, I have experience in the grocery industry, and I showed him my little, uh, my little paper from my previous boss. He, said, uh, he was dipping snuff. You know what? You need to talk to my manager. I said, I do need to talk to your manager. He said, he'll be here tomorrow morning early. He said, I want you to be right here. I said, sir, I want to say... Sir, I'll be right there. <laughs> I said, sir, I'll be right there. And you know what? I went the next morning and I got a managerial job. Come on, Jesus. Now, you know, listen. These stories are really close to my life, but you know what they did? Those are the seedbed and foundation for me to live my life with Jesus. So I've moved my family twice, 1,200 miles, with no guarantees of anything except problems, and God's come through. I have bought houses, sold houses, bought cars, sold cars, built buildings, had ministry in other lands, and done all kinds of things. And we just finished that building over there. You do it all by the Word of God. You do it all by faith, and God always comes through. God always honors His Word. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return void, but will accomplish what I please and prosper where I sent it. How many hear me? I'm going way over time today, but you need to hear that the word of God will keep you. The word of God will sustain you. The word of God will provide for you. The word of God will bring his presence into your life. And the Holy Spirit will honor the word of God in your life because he's called the spirit of truth. And you show God how much you love him by honoring his word. How many hear me? And if you'll honor his word, he'll watch over his word in your life to perform it. What are you giving God to watch over? Jeremiah 1.12. So in the future, when the going gets tough and it looks like nobody's going to have anything, you can look to your source of supply, which is God, your heavenly father, which is over to, able to override circumstances and do what nobody else can do because he honors his word. Heaven and earth will pass 
pass away, Jesus said. But my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I plant flowers in my front yard every year. I've got annuals and perennials. The annuals, they're going to die, not come back. The perennials will come back year after year, but every season they do something different. God's word is not like those flowers. They're going to come and go. God's word never changes. So I want you to hear me as I close. I went way over today, but I need to. Listen, if you let put God's word inside of you, I don't care if you're facing a mental, emotional problem. I don't care if you're facing a circumstantial problem, a financial problem, a physical problem. Let me give you another one. I see I do this for everything. I had this big old, big old bump come on my arm because and I ride bikes a lot, you know, on the trailer. I always, uh, and I don't always put anything to protect me from the sun because whatever, I got whatever. And this big old bump came right here, and it just got bigger, 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 bigger. And the devil said, man, you got skin cancer, dude. You need to get that thing cut out. I said, shut up. Just shut up. Just shut up. And, you know, it kept getting bigger, 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 bigger. And, uh, and so I finally, I finally, I didn't even do anything. I just finally prayed. And you know what? It's gone. Amen. Now, why did I say that? Because I do this with every single thing in life. Did you hear me? Every uh, Physically, financially, circumstantially. I ask God to bless my marriage. You know how I say, God, instead of praying for sin, I say, God, give Susan the best husband she could ever have. <laughs> and see, if you pray, pray about everything. Exercise your faith in God's word. You will never be alone. And my friend, you will never be alone. Fail.